Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Today we have Howard Bihar on the show. Howard is the former president of Starbucks. Over his time at Starbucks, he helped the company grow from 28 stores to more than 15,000 stores all over the world. Not only does he share some of the stories and principles from his time at Starbucks, but also from his early years growing up around the retail business. For more information on Howard, check out his website at howardbihar.com. And don't forget to check out, he's got two great books, It's Not About the Coffee, Lessons on Putting People First from a Life at Starbucks, and The Magic Cup. They're two great books that you definitely encourage you to read. Now let's go ahead and get to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today I have a special guest, Howard Bihar is the former president of Starbucks. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Bailey. Yeah, well, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of give us some context into your upbringing and what your early life was like growing up. Well, I was the son of two immigrants that came to the United States in the early 1900s. My dad came from Bulgaria as a 15-year-old, left his family behind, never saw them again, and came to got to Seattle. He did have one brother in Vancouver, British Columbia, and they both immigrated to the United States, Seattle particularly. And my father couldn't speak a word of English, went to high school to learn English and worked in a place called the Pike Place Market, which is a farmer's market in Seattle, very famous one. And so he, um, he did that. My mother, my mother came from Latvia and, uh, as a, as a nine-year-old and they met in Seattle and, and I was raised in Seattle. My dad, my dad had a, a small mom and pop grocery store in in the Seattle area. And that's how I grew up. Never had a lot, but we always had food on the table. So I learned, I learned all my lessons from, you know, my parents, my family, particularly about business, because my dad, small businessman, you do everything, you know, you hire, you fire, you do advertising, you do inventory, you manage your cash flow. And so, you know, even though I was young, I got to watch him do all that stuff. It really, that and other family members who were small entrepreneurs prepared me to, to at least run a small company and it ended up being a big company. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Talking about that, were there any, uh, I know obviously being around your, your family business was impactful in your life. Were there any other experiences that shaped you uh, early on growing up that you can recall? Yeah, absolutely. One, one, one story that I like to tell is about my father and, and his mom and pop grocery store. And I, was, I used to go there after school every day and, and just hang out. You know, my mom was there working too. And, and so one day I was up by the cash register and my dad was bringing up a customer. In those days, it was a hand crank, had 10 keys across the top, 10 keys across going down. You'd punch the buttons and pull the crank and go bing, right? <laughs> so he was ringing up a customer and put everything in the bag. And then he asked me, Howard, go get some bananas for me, will you please? And I went and bought a bunch of bananas up to him and he took them and he put them in the customer's bag and, and the customer walked out. Well, I was old enough to realize that he hadn't rung the bananas up on the cash register. And I said to him, dad, I said, you forgot to ring the bananas up. And he said, Howard, not everything we do in life do we need to get paid for. Some things we do in life just because it's the right thing to do. And this particularly, these people are not only our customers, they're our friends and our neighbors. 
I happen to know that they love fresh fruit, but they can't afford to buy it right now. And so it's just my way of saying thank you. And, and you know, that's all it is. And, you know, I didn't realize the importance of that story until I was much older and the importance of that memory, remembering, remembering that. And, and, you know, it's so true. You know, we get caught up in this being paid for everything we do. And the pay is not always economic pay. Sometimes we need the pay as a pat on the back. You know, we don't always need a pat on the back for doing the right thing. And uh, so I took that with me. And, you know, as you go through life, you remember those lessons. And I never felt like I needed to be paid for everything I did. I was always willing to work the extra hours. I wasn't worried about overtime or anything like that. I was just doing what I needed to do because I was learning and I was growing. And I was getting some, getting some for it. So I did that. And, and when I, how I got to Starbucks was kind of accidental. And I'd met Howard Schultz, who was the CEO when I first when I first met him about a year before I joined the company and and we got together but I didn't fit and then a year passed and uh, by accident I got in touch with him again and he was still interested in hiring somebody as a VP of operations for the company and and I said Howard before you extend me an invitation or I agree to join can I work in the company for a week I'll work for free just let me I just want to work in the company so I, I worked for two days in the plant. I worked for a couple of days in the trucks and about three days in the, in the stores. And after that week, I recognized it was a perfect place fit for me. And he had an extended invitation. So, you know, it's, you know, it's people thought I was nuts. What do you mean you're working for free? <laughs> you know, and, and I took a big cut, a big, a huge cut in pay. Now, truth is I wasn't working at the time. I'd the company had been leading. I was president of the land development company, got in trouble, we had to sell it. But, you know, still I was making three times as much as the company before. And I just asked him, I said, what can you afford? What fits with the rest of your people? What can you afford? And, and he named a number, which was a third of what I've been. And I just said to my wife, I said, you know, I don't know where this is going, but it feels right. So I did it. And, you know, sometimes you got to do that. You got to step up, you know? And so, you know, it's not everything in life you need to be paid for. Mm. What you know, what a powerful story. And just having the ability to say, I want to come work for free to get to, to learn about the business, the people. Um, and it goes back to the story of your parents and the environment, the story of the bananas. Yeah, uh, yeah I had a, confidence that it would, that was going to be okay. Yeah. And then also, you know, there's something about you just saying it just felt right, the intuition that you had. But going back to your parents... And what a powerful story and lesson to be learned, whether you realize it at the time or not, that was something yeah. that you applied in your life throughout yeah. your career. But yeah. there's another story that I read in your book that you just talked about your parents. They didn't have, they had this attitude that, um, you know, they were just going to work through things and they didn't, you know, care about who got the credit, but just being present and uh, also caring for you all. Can you describe just kind of even the characteristics and the values that they instilled in you at a young age, aside from the story you just told? Yeah, well, they both came, uh, you know, from fairly large families. And so in large families, you learn how to deal with each other in a good way. And, and particularly my mother's side of the family, which her, her whole family immigrated to the United States, 11 children and her parents. And so we were always at their homes, you know, and they were always helping each other and they're always caring for each other. Their best friends were their family. And, you know, you watch that and you are part of that and it becomes part of you and you, you sign on for it and you realize that 
you know, we're at the end of the day, all we're here to do, no matter what position we have in life, is to serve other human beings. And I learned that from both of my parents. That they understood that that serving other human beings and taking care of other people was the highest calling that they could have. And and that was really, I mean, that was so formative for me. I I that just became the way I did things. And I never, you know, I always felt that that, you know, if I did that well, then everything had worked out for me. And it did, and it did. And I encourage everybody to think that way because it does. They weren't mm -hmm. greedy. They never had a lot. The most my dad ever made was $18,000 a year. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he never had, he had, didn't have much, but he, he, he understood somehow that, you know, he had this grocery store. He said, I'm going to build a little building with, it had 10 apartments above it and five retail stores. And of course his grocery store was in one of those retail stores. We all know those buildings. Uh -huh. And that's where I was born. There were five of us living, living in 500 square feet in that little apartment. Then we moved to the palace. It was 900 square feet. <laughs> now, my bathroom today is 900 square feet, you know? Yeah. You know, but that's how it was. You know, you appreciated what you had. You weren't greedy. You, you served others and it, your life worked out. Those are some uh, good qualities to live by, especially in today's environment, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, another thing you, you touched on in the book is, is this how your parents did not go about blaming anyone. They just accepted responsibility. And I know that's a core principle that you've talked about as well yeah. as accountability yeah. and responsibility. Yeah, no, bl no, no blame. And they had tough lives. You know, when my dad, he was raised in, in you know, dirt floors and, and a stick and mud house. And that was kind of the same with my mother. And they didn't, they, they just didn't see that as holding them back. They, they were what they were and they were always satisfied. Always. And that was one thing they always said, my mother, God, I can hear her today. She's been dead for a long time. She says, Howard, just be satisfied. Mm. Be Right. Have gratitude for what you have, no matter what it is, how little or how much have gratitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, you had a chance growing up to be in that environment to get to work in the grocery store. Talk about kind of uh, your career trajectory where you were working in the grocery store and did you have aspirations of certain things you wanted to do when you were in high school and moving forward? I, you know, I grew up in retail, my dad's business, but he retired by the time I was about 12. But then my brother and brother-in-law had furniture stores. I had an uncle that had, had two uncles that had jewelry stores, another uncle that had a pawn shop and a music store. And so I was around retail my whole life. And I loved retail. The reason I loved retail was about people. You know, retail, you're always talking to somebody, right? You're talking about the product, about them. You're listening, you know, you're, you know. And so I, like I was talking about before, I gained these incredible people skills because of it. And because I was the baby in my family, I was 10 years younger and than my brother, 14 years younger than my sister. I was always with my parents when they went to visit adults and so i was almost like an adult having i was in the middle of conversations yeah so i uh you know those things just prepared me and so i i worked in my brother's store when i was going to college and then i uh when i was 20 years old i got hired um in a for to manage a furniture store in salem oregon which was a couple hundred miles south of seattle and that was my first real management job and i learned a lot a guy named sid and he taught me a lot he said howard he said, pay yourself first. He says, take 10 cents of every dollar you earn and put it in savings. If you do that, you will never have to worry about money. Yeah. God, was he right? <laughs> it was just 10 cents. That's all it was. 
but I put in savings account before you know it, it was big, you mm -hmm. know? And he taught me lots of skills. And, and then I ended up going back to work. I worked for my brother-in-law in the furniture business. And he was a tough guy to work for, you know, he, he fired me actually. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, so I ended up going to work for a, a big company called Levis Furniture. And uh, they were in Oklahoma where you are at some one time, I remember. Uh -huh. and, and I learned a lot in that company because I, that was a huge organization. It was growing rapidly and it had a lot of moving parts. It's the first time I ever saw a computer. And the, it was a, 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 computer, a computer in a room by about 15 by 25. I mean, that was one of those big <laughs> computers. So you took uh -huh. the punch and you read the punch cards every night to see what you sold and what you didn't sell. So I learned a lot there. I learned about advertising, and and then um, and then I got recruited by uh, a, a company called uh, Federated Department Stores to open up a division called Gold Key, and it was in San Jose, California. And I I was a merchandise manager for that store, and I reported to a guy named Erwin Greenwald. And Erwin Erwin was an interesting guy. He was a nice guy, but he had bad habit. Every morning he'd come in and say, "Hi, you dummy. How you doing?" <laughs> And that, God, it would piss me off. Mm -hmm. right? One day he said it, and I just got up out of my chair and I went to him. And Erwin was about six five, and I'm about five ten. And I went to him and I took my finger and I pointed right at his nose. I said, Erwin, don't you ever effing say that to me again. Three weeks later, I was fired. All right. So my wife was pregnant with our daughter, uh, and I and she was two months away or three months away from giving birth. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money saved. Right. Now I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I met probably the most important mentor in my life, a guy named Jim Jensen. And he was he was leading a company called Grand Tree Furniture Rental out of Portland, Oregon. And he he was looking for somebody to run uh, a chain of stores that they had that sold sold long, no longer rentable furniture. And so, you know, he he I went and interviewed with him. I was telling him how great I was and and he said, yeah, well, we'd love to have you. And, and, I, and he, he said, how much are you making? I said, I'm making 30,000 a year, which then was pretty good money, you know? Uh, and, uh, and, and he said, hey, I can't pay that. I can pay 18. And I about choked. <laughs> and I live on $18,000 a year. And, and then he said, but you've told me how great you are, right? He'd set the hook, right? Uh -huh. How great you are. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a piece of the action. A, percent, a percentage of, of the sales and profits. And he did. And I bet I needed a job, right? And mm -hmm. I bet, and I went to work and lo and behold, the first year I made 75,000. Now going from 30,000, expecting to earn 18 or 20,000 to 75,000 in those days, you could buy a brand new Jaguar XKE for $11,000, right? Those mm -hmm. are the days. You could buy a house, a really nice house for 50,000. Yeah. So 75,000, that was like died, got him. And so then the CEO of the company said, we can't afford to pay that. That's almost what money as I'm paying. He said, we're gonna have to reduce your percentage. So they did, it made me so mad because mm. I thought a deal was a deal, right? And I got so mad, I said, okay, do it. I'll take care of it. The next year I made 125,000. That shocked the hell out of all of them. So you know, it's I had goals I wanted to do. So so then uh, I, I spent 
I stayed eight or nine years there, I did really well. And then I went and the CEO that hired me left and he went into the land development business and, and he took a few of us with him and company got in trouble. I became president of it and we had to sell it. And lo and behold, I'm out looking again because I got fired again. Mm -hmm. only, only this time I had a parachute, you know, so I had some money to survive for a while. And I was out trying to buy a business and I ended up uh, meeting Howard Schultz and the rest is history. And I turned right instead of turning left. And whoever knew that coffee business would become what it's become or Starbucks would have become. If I'd have known, I'd have kept all my stock. <laughs> I'd have been flying into me on my private jet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think there's so much to that story just before you even get to Starbucks, because yeah. you, you hear uh, one thing that I keep thinking of is relationships uh, yeah. through your experiences. You've had relationships with different people and they morphed into other opportunities. Um, but I would assume it's a common theme that we also see is that treating people right and having good relationships leads to other opportunities. And, um, also, there's a story that I've heard whenever you were in the furniture business about, uh, you know, you tried in a leadership position to be a little different than you truly were to yourself. Uh, yeah. I think you described it as wearing, you know, your one hat. Right. And I think that's a really powerful lesson just early, even before you get to Starbucks of knowing who you are and being yourself and being authentic, truly to yourself as a leader. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of touch on that before we dive into your experience at Starbucks. And that came from the guy that took me into the into the land of business from Grantry, a guy named Jim Jensen. And he, he taught me about affirmations. And and he was the, probably the best mentor I ever, I ever had, without a question. And he he um, he taught me about setting values, having a, a a mission statement, and having a plan for your life. And that began my journey of writing down my eight to 10 core values and how those values inform the actions and the decisions I made in life. And I did that, it took me a long time to do it, about six months. It was easy to get to 50, it was hard to get to eight to 10. And then I wrote, and I wrote them down. And, and then I had to define how those, value, what those, how those values inform my decisions and what they meant. So my first core value was, is honesty, still is that today. And, you know, I had to figure out what honesty meant to me because if I asked hundred people in a room, tell me about what honesty means to you, they'd all say I'm honest, but they might have a different definition of how it informed their decisions. So then, then I wrote a mission statement for myself. And in those days it was, you know, I want to be one of the leading managers, one of the leading experts in the home furnishings industry. And today my mission statement is every day I want to nurture and inspire the human spirit beginning with myself first and then for others. And then I wrote, uh, it was there's supposed to be a paragraph that you wrote about how you want to live your life. I changed it to just words. I, I wrote down my six P's. First P is everything I do in life has to have a purpose greater than myself. It has to be bigger than me. It has to always be about serving others. The second P is, is passion. If you have a purpose greater than yourself, then you darn well better be passionate about it. Scream it from the highest mountaintops, you know, and, and get up in the morning Raring to go because you're so excited about what you're going to do that day. Then the third P is persistence. Nothing in life comes to you without persistence. You know, we all travel down the rivers of our lives. And in each, each of our lives, in each river, there are rocks. Some of the rocks sit below the surface of the water. You don't see them and you smack right into them. Some of the rocks sit above the surface and you see them and you hit them anyway. Mm -hmm. 
And then some rocks we put there ourselves. But, you know, we have to figure out how to get over them, around them, under them, through them, or blow them up. One of the, one of the one ways to be persistent, because persistence matters. If you were to ask me what one word would I describe every entrepreneur I've ever met in my life, that would be the word, persistence. Mm -hmm. Then the fourth P is patience. Not everything comes in the time frame that you want it to come in. I think persistence and patience are opposite of each other. They're not. You have to be patiently persistent or persistently patient, whatever way you want to go. Yeah. And so, you know, I learned that it, sometimes it took a little longer, but you had to stay with it. And that went with persistence. So, and the most important person you got to be patient with is yourself. Then the fifth P is performance. Performance matters, right? If you make a commitment to do something, if you're married and you make a commitment to have a monogamous relationship, you need better do it. That's your, that's performance. If, if you make a commitment to be one of your child's soccer games, you better show up at the game. If you make a commitment to your boss to get something done, you better do it or let them know early why you're not. Performance matters. We're getting measured all the time. Are you married by any chance? I am, yep. Okay. Do you have any children? No children yet. We're coming up on five years. So. Okay, all right. So your wife is measuring all the time, whether you realize it or not, right? Yes. You're measuring her. And so performance matters. Mm -hmm. Right. To do the things we say we're going to do to live, our, to live our life in the way we've committed to against our values and against our mission. Then the sixth P, the most important P is people. There is no role that we will play, no job we will have in our lives that isn't about serving others. Whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, whether you're a podcaster, whether you're a land developer, whether you're a, a barista, whether you're an architect, it doesn't make any difference. Everything we do in life is about serving another human being. A widget maker makes widgets. It gets sold to a, a printing company that makes uh, printing presses. It gets sold to a publisher that produces a magazine or newspaper that gets delivered to somebody's home to inform or entertain them. The widget maker has a role in informing or entertaining those people. And so the problem is we don't make connections between, between ourselves and the, our greater purpose, mm. and that's serving others. So that's your hat. That's my hat. Yeah, I, I call it Howard and 50 words, a picture of Howard and 50 words or less. And that hat I wear throughout my life. I wear that hat in my marriage. I wear that hat in my work. I wear that hat with my family. I wear that hat in my communities with my friends. And I am who I am. And because I can't be somebody other than who I am. And I have to live my life that way. And if you want to have a fulfilling life, you have to, you have to define who you are write it down and then live your life that way. Everything can be changed. You want to change your value? You want to change your mission? No problem. You can change. You write it in pencil, but you are who you are and people should be able to depend on that, that who you say you are is who you are. And that's how I lived my life. That's how I led the companies. People always knew who I was, what mattered to me, what my values were. I was always an authentic, vulnerable person. And those are kind of people, they're buzzwords people use today, but they really matter. So that's what I'm talking about when you I say wear one hat. Yeah. And that is, you know, that we could end just on that right there because there's so much in that, but also I want to note that, you know, this is, this is something that you applied in your life before you got to Starbucks before. Oh yeah. And, and it was something you were before. Yeah. I brought that with me to Starbucks. Exactly. I was a servant leader before I got to Starbucks and I brought that with me. Absolutely. And that's something that's important to, to be doing those things consistently every day, being yourself, being true to yourself. And as we come into the Starbucks uh, take for you and we get into leadership as well, how did you get to know uh, 
Howard Schultz um, at the time, and how did that relationship form? Well, he uh, he had it was a small company at the time when I started at Starbucks. When I first met Howard, they had eleven stores. By the time I got there, there were twenty eight stores. But he had a, a friend of mine on his little board on a board of directors, a guy named Jeff Brotman, who was a co-founder of Costco. And Jeff and I had grown up together, and I was looking for something to do after the land development business, and I was thinking about maybe doing doing joint something with Jeff on a, a business. And he said, "You got to meet Howard. He's he needs a guy like you." So that's how I, that's how I got in. And then I had a cousin who was an investor in, in the company, and so that's how I got in to meet Howard. But that didn't get me the job. I had to I had to do my things to you know to first I had to want it, and then Howard had to want me. So, and so then, you know, Howard invited me to join and, and, you know, I brought in the idea that, that we weren't in, the, we weren't in the coffee business serving people, but we were in the people business serving coffee. Cause that's what I believe. I used to drive Howard nuts. I'd say, <laughs> what business are we in? What business are we in? And he kind of get mad at me. He says, what do you mean? What business? We're in the coffee business. I said, no, we're not. We're in the people business, <laughs> you know? And we'd get in these blowout arguments. I mean, we'd argue. Argue, 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 you know, and I, why he kept me, I don't know, because I, I, you know, I, I was relentless, you know, and I'd get mad at him. I, you know, and, and he'd get mad at me, but, but he did. And, uh, and we built a, a loving relationship, you know, over a long period of time. And there was a third guy involved, a guy named Warren Smith, and he was the third leg of the stool and he was the peacemaker. He was a guy that he was a more less emotional. He would get when Howard and I were arguing like cats and dogs. He'd get between us and say, "Hey, hey, boys, slow down. You know, take it easy. You know." And the three of us together were an amazing team, amazing, incredible. And uh, you know, we helped each other. We always knew where each other was on the court, and and we we shared some really common values. Like we weren't going to build this company on the backs of people. We we're going to build this company with people. And, um, you know, and that's what we did together. And we did it together. Any one of the two of us would have killed the other one. And <laughs> if I would have, if it would have just been Howard and I, one of us would have been in jail for murder. <laughs> and, and, and Oren, Oren was too, uh, he was too soft sometimes for Howard, you know? And, and, and Oren and I would have built this nice little tiny company west of the Mississippi. Howard had the vision, you know, and the dream. Okay. So it was the three of us together that made it work. It was a team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I've I've heard you guys uh, have been referenced as H two O. Yeah, um, for the three right. of you all, which is a is awesome. But I really also want to pinpoint that you guys all had different characteristics and different mm -hmm. uh, abilities, but together you guys yeah. were able to accomplish a lot through each other. And yeah. also another thing, I know the the idea behind caring not just for your employees but for the people around you is really important. And there's a, a story that I saw where you guys would meet, you know. Uh, one night a week to kind of get together and talk about the things that mattered to you guys. So you got to know each other on a real personal level. Yeah. As well every, as Monday, every Monday night that we either cried or we laughed, you know, it was one of the. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And, and diving into Starbucks. So you guys were there kind of uh, early on, you said you had 28 stores, I believe when you first and started. And came about six months after I did. Okay. Did you guys have the idea behind growing the company at the time to where it is today? No, mm -hmm. no, no. We took a step. It was successful. We took another step. It was, we had some failures, but took a step. It was successful. I mean, Howard always wanted to be a star, you know, 
he was from, he came raised really poor from New York, Canarsie, New York. He wanted to go man back to Manhattan, a conquering hero. He had huge dreams, huge appetites, persistent as hell. Howard didn't know from the word no. You know, you if you said no to Howard, that was the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> and Oren and I, you know, we were some more small town boys, but we both caught on and figured out. And after a while, we figured out what we had. And then we all of us pushed our foot on the throttle and we went, we did it, you know, and, and it wasn't a perfect journey, but it was a great journey and still is today. Mm -hmm. Still, you know? Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned before is you're not in the coffee, you're in the coffee business serving people. And basically the idea behind that, uh, I just probably, I butchered it. Yeah. We were in the people business serving coffee, not the coffee that's right and all play on words but that was really what it was we were about first take care of our own people and then to take care of those people those human beings we call customers mm-hmm. in today's world you know with business you know it's very much about profits and and how did you guys kind of contradict that with the thought behind what you're doing you wanted to obviously be successful business-wise monetarily but also more importantly help the people that were working in the stores at Starbucks and you guys, it's like almost like a family. Yeah. Well, it's, it wasn't it. Uh, see, th- there's kind of confusion in our world. People think it's either or take care of people or profits. It's not, it's take care of people and profits. They go together. Servant leadership is about serving your people first before they serve you. And that means you help them uh, uh, grow as human beings. You help them grow as professionals and you help them achieve their goals. And when you do that well, then they wanna help you. And uh, you get people that wanna make the organization successful because they know that you care about them. And yeah, we had we knew we had to make money. I mean, the first guiding principle at Starbucks was we treat each other with respect and dignity. The last guiding principle is that we recognize that profitability is essential to our future growth and success. But it wasn't the first. You know, if you do the right things right, you know, you'll make money. You know, you don't need to be brilliant in this world to make money. You need to be disciplined, right? You need to have a decent business model. You need to be, you need to serve people and, and it works. You know, not everybody's going to be a billionaire. I'm not, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. But my dad, a small mom pop grocery store, never made more than 18,000 a year, which at the time supported our family. But, but, it, but you know, it was enough for him. But he had a life. He created a family, had, had children, grandchildren, and he, he took care of his customers, his neighbors, and his friends, and his family. I mean, you know, and he had gratitude for all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said, would it be nice to have Bezos money so he could build a 500-foot? Yeah, sure, I guess. Sure. You know? But there's problems that come with that, too, you know? Sure. Uh, those, those journeys aren't free. So, you know, uh, it's live a good life, have gratitude for what you have. Yeah. Make a good living. If you have a business, yeah. Is profitable, is being profitable important? Yes, it is. But remember, what's most important is cash flow, positive cash flow. <laughs> yes. It's a hell of a lot more important than the PL statement. Most businesses go under because they run out of cash, uh-huh. not because they have a decent model. Sure. And, you know, one of the things you touched on just a second ago is servant leadership. Uh, how did you guys go about enacting that? And you talked about caring for employees. What does that look like? You know, for someone who's a manager and a leader in an organization to actually show care and be a servant leader in an organization. Well, that was I was a student of servant leadership long before 
I got to Starbucks when I was in my late twenties, that was Jim Jensen introduced me to servant leadership and a guy named Robert Greenleaf coined the term servant leadership. He was the head of organizational development for AT&T in the forties and fifties. And when he retired, he looked back at his career and he asked himself a question, who are, which organizations after uh, uh, survived long after their leaders left. And he came to the conclusion that the, the leaders that failed after their leaders left were the ones where the leaders felt that they were there to be served. And the ones that survived after their leaders left were the ones where the leaders understood that they were there to serve their people. And what it means is this, that you treat your people with respect, with dignity. You, you don't build your business on the backs of people. You, you are authentic and vulnerable with your people. You're kind, you're generous with your people. You're, um, uh, you, you, you are trying to help your people grow as human beings and grow as professionals. And, and when you do that really well, they wanna do exactly the same thing back for the organization. It just works. And you know, they're not autocratic. I have a saying, the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. And you hire people to come in the company, don't tell them what to do all the time. Talk about what the goals are, what the greater purpose of the organization is and what role they play, but then get out of their way. Get out of their way. Treat them with all the respect and dignity that, <clears throat> that they need to do their jobs, you know, and, and hold them accountable. Servant leadership isn't about being soft. It's about also holding people accountable, but in a positive, productive way, not being a yeller, screamer, not putting people down, not telling them what bums are. As, as, Spencer, as, as uh, Ken Blanchard said, catch people doing the right things right. Don't try to catch them doing things wrong. People want to repeat the things that they get rewarded and recognized for. When, when, when you're constantly coming at them and blasting them, then all they want to do is stay away from you. Hmm. So that's what servant leadership is about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's great right there. But what about listening, you know, and tying oh, in well, servant leader? Yeah. I mean, servant leaders, listen, it's, you know, it's to say the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. If a person comes in, somebody that's in charge of sweeping the floors comes in and says, Hey, I found a broom that on the internet that, that could increase my floor sweeping productivity by 10%. And I don't say just use the broom I gave you. I don't say the purchase department chooses a broom. Listen, because look at here. You want a great story about that? So there was a young woman named Dina Campion, and Dina Campion was the district manager in Southern California. And she called me up one day and asked me if I could come down and visit and take a tour of her stores and some competitor stores. So I went down there and we look at our stores, and then we went to competitor stores. And one of our competitor stores, she brought me a drink. Brought me a drink, and she said, "We need a drink like this at Starbucks." Now remember, Dina, Dina was a district manager. She was in charge of bringing great people in the company, serving her people, serving her customers, growing the business. So, you know, she said, you know, I think we ought to have a drink like this. Dina's broom, right? So I took her idea back to Seattle and I presented it. And the head of marketing said, well, we're in the coffee business. We don't really want to do something like that. And, and I pleaded. I said, let's just try it. And he said, no, I'm in charge of product development. I don't want to do so I could, you know, he was the man. So I, I went back to Dean and I said, you know, there's no, nobody wants to do it right now. Let's give it six months. We'll come back at it. So a few weeks later, Dina called me again. She said, you, can you come visit me again? I said, Dina, what is it? She said, I'd like to talk to you about that beverage again. I said, Dina, you know the answer. 
But Dana was like one of those little tiny dogs that have really sharp teeth. They shake <laughs> them calf, and no matter how much you try to shake them off your calf, you can't shake them off. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'm not going to make a special trip, but I have to be down there in about a month. I'll come meet you. So I did. And I walked into the store, Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica, big tourist store. And she said, go sit down over there. And I did. And she brought me three little sample cups. We've been in Starbucks. They're always using those little sample cups. And so she brought me the sample cups and I took a sip and I said, Dina, this tastes remarkably like that drink that you bought me at that store. Are you trying to get me fired? I said, Howard, please, with those big brown eyes as, as she's biting into my leg further, right? Please let us do this. Let us try this. So I, I said, how did you do this? Well, she said, I went and bought some nonfat milk solids, some chocolate and equipment and stuff like that. And the barista and the store manager and Van Ewing, we just figured it out. So, you know, it was one of those times in your in management that everybody goes through this where somebody wants to do something that kind of goes against the thrust of the organization. But I always had, I didn't believe in rules. I said, as long as you don't do anything illegal, immoral, or unethical, and you don't poison anybody, we, can, we should be able to try it. So I said, <laughs> okay, you can try it, but do not tell a soul. No signs up, just you can, baristas can talk about it. And I said, you call me every night after the first week and tell me how it's going. If it's not going well, we're done, right? First week, she'd said that we'd get 30 drinks a day. We've got 50 drinks a day. Second week, we got 60 or 70 drinks a day. Third week, it went up. This was going to be a blowout success. So I brought Dean up to Seattle. I had all the numbers. I mean, we were going to raise, we were going to raise our sales by about 10%, but profits by about 20%. It was going to be huge if it if it worked everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I brought it back up. And this time I invited Howard Schultz and I invited the head of marketing and we sat around the table and I had a, Dana bring in these sample cups again with her team. And they had a marketing guy that got right in front of my nose. He said, Bihar, I told you we weren't going to do this. And he looked at Schultz and he, and he said, you tell Howard at Bihar, we're not doing this. And I looked at Howard and I put, I, I had this sheet of paper and being my non-emotional self, I slammed it down on the table. I said, yeah, look at these numbers, you know? And, and I said to Howard, I said, give me three months. If you don't like it in three months, no questions asked. We won't do it. So by the end of three months, it was a blowout success. So you know what the product is, right? Frappuccino. Mm. So Dina and her broom became a $4 billion business within the company. Mm. Now, not every broom is worth $4 billion, but you know, who knows? You never know. Absolutely. But there's some great, powerful lessons in that story. First and foremost, to listen, listen yeah. to the people that you have, you know, a whole nother story we get on is just hiring the right people, finding people that take ownership in the things that they're involved in, which yeah. she obviously did, but also taking risk and trying new things. Uh, I mean, you could say yeah. persistence too, like you were telling her about, uh, yeah. she's very persistent, yeah. but yeah. also just the ability to take risk. And yeah. And to try something new. And I know that's something that you find is very, very valuable. Take risks, try things out and see what happens. Um, and I did. I mean, I, you know, I was, I, you know, first, my first value was honesty. Uh, you know, you could say, well, I was a little dishonest with Howard. I didn't tell him. Right? <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, I was in charge of retail. He could have fired me anytime. And, you know, uh, we tried all sorts of things, you know, and, and they worked many and some didn't work a lot failed but you know why not and i was always wanted to grow the business and and to do things that were out of the norm and i i wasn't coward was more a creative guy than i was i was an alchemist 
I would take different ideas coming from a lot of different people, put them together, and I could see how they fit and what they might do. You know, mm-hmm. and so that's how what I did, and I was good at that. Yeah, you know? I, I I see connections between seemingly opposing things and how to make them work. Obviously, and that was a yeah, that was a great one right there. But one of the things that uh, look at your story, being able to listen, being a servant leader, all these things uh, are things that enable companies, organizations to grow. Caring for people is really important. But one of the things as we kind of wind down, I'd love to hear more about, you know, marriage and, and, and having a great marriage, being a good husband. What are those things that, that you feel like make a great marriage and then also being a great husband, father, things like that? Well, you know, I can't tell you. You'd have to ask my wife if I'm great okay. <laughs> and kids. But here's what I believe: that um, the only that what keeps a marriage together is trust, right? And what keeps trust going is constant, honest, open communication, being real, and and treating each of your family members with the respect, dignity, love, and caring that they deserve. And that doesn't mean you don't argue, you know, you do. And, and, and the most important thing is have a plan for your life and for your marriage. You know, and my wife and I would go away for a long weekend and we'd have create a plan for our lives. Now she had, and also recognize that you're each individuals, that you each have a, a life, individual life to live. Even though you're married, you have family together, you have things that hold you together, that glue you together. But each of you has to have your own life plan. Where are you going? What do you want to do? My wife wanted to get a PhD. We had to figure out how to make it so she could do that. It wasn't my job to tell her she couldn't. I say, how can I support you in that? And we had to figure it out together. Uh, and we'd have, we, so we had this, created this plan. And in the plan had spirituality, material, economic well-being, travel, our children, our marriage, uh, uh, even what kind of house we wanted to have, uh, all sorts of things, all the different headings. And then we'd create three to five goals under each one that were three to five year goals. Mm-hmm. And then we, and she had her own goals about her own career. And I had mine about my career. And if there was going to be an argument, we had them in those meetings for the most part. Didn't mean we didn't argue outside of those, but, but, but stuff that usually didn't matter. Sure. You know, and, uh, but we had a plan for life. And, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. Lead a life with intention in your family. Include your kids in your planning, right? Make them part of it so they know what roles they play and what you're there to do for them. And, and but good, honest, open communication with love and caring and constantly be reinforcing trust. Absolutely. Yeah, I know those are, that, that's great advice. How many years have you been married now? 45 years. 45 years. I'd say that's pretty good advice for 45 years worth of marriage. So, Well, I wasn't perfect. I've been married before and so had my wife. But (laughs) that's okay. We we learned. We did all right the second time around. Absolutely. No, there's so such great points about being intentional, having a plan and doing it together and then including your kids in it. I think there's a lot of power because uh, just just as you were able to watch your parents and now, you know, you look back and see the lessons. Maybe they weren't even trying to intentionally teach you at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing that for your kids and obviously yeah. the grandkids that you have. And, and it's yeah. kind of a legacy type thing. Yeah, exactly. So that's very powerful. Um, as we wind down, we have a little fire round for you. So I'm going to say 
uh, a sentence and you can kind of finish in a word or a sentence or whatever you feel. So you can do anything if. Uh, if you believe. Caring means. Love. Your favorite vacation spot. Uh, Hawaii. Trust is. Trust is the glue that holds the world together. Favorite professional experience. Oh, favorite professional experience. Watching my people leave our people leave the company and grow on to do bigger things. Oh, that's that's a great answer. Um, it all comes down to loving yourself. Great. That's we're done with the fire round. You know, one of the things as we really we have two questions, but I want to touch on one thing is in in your book you talk about just saying yes. Uh, you talk about dreaming. You talk about having goals and trying to go after those things yeah. and just saying yes. You know, how do people go about that in their life? Just finding what that is and then saying yes to those things and going and trying to accomplish some dreams that they might have. Well, first of all, you got to set out a plan, right? The plan doesn't have, doesn't necessarily say you got to first write down your values, right? What your values are. They're they're the glue. They're the everything, right? They create the you. Then your mission. Where you? What are you trying to do? Mission isn't I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Mission is what you want to leave behind in this life, and then how you want to live your life, and then and then. You're, you're going to try different things in your life. Most people today have six or seven different careers. Look at you, basketball coach, right? To land development, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to be open to trying new things. But have a plan for your life. What are the things you want to accomplish in your life? And it kind of comes to you. And then, you know, there's a, a saying that luck is where opportunity meets preparation. So learn, 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 grow, grow, grow. And, and look at all opportunities that come by you. You know, it's, you know, I was just lucky that up Starbucks came by me, but I was smart enough to see the opportunity and I was prepared. And, and that's it, you know, and so you got to learn, you got to be, you know, wear your hat, be who you are, grow yourself and, and learn, learn, learn and get outside your comfort zone. That's the hardest thing to do. People want to, we all want to stay in our comfort zone. Why? You know, we don't want any pain. But no pain, no gain, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's just that simple. Yeah. Everything is just summed up in just what you just said. Um, yeah. And, you know, at the end of the podcast, we always, one of my favorite quotes has always been, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Anytime yeah. I've put myself in uncomfortable positions, yeah. it's yeah. always turned out to be a good thing. Uh, Gary, you know, Jeff, was I prepared to be a president of a land development company? No, I never was. It, was I prepared to, uh, uh, to run a multi-billion dollar business? No. I learned and I grew and I trusted my people. Was I prepared to start Starbucks International? I, what other knowledge did I have about being president of a startup in an international business? But I learned and I trusted my people. So, you know, what I, what I was good at and is about with people. I love people and, and servant leadership became my model and that works. And people knew I cared and they were willing to do anything to support. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. I was willing to do anything to support them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it goes back to having great servant leadership, caring for your people, and then taking yeah. the next best step, like you said, early yeah. on. Yeah. As we, the last two questions I have for you, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice, um, it would be write down my values. Mm -hmm. create, write down, create a plan for your life, write, write down your values and have have affirmations.
-hmm. not without a question. That, that uh, group of things, writing down your values, a mission statement, you're uh, uh, writing a plan so you knew where you were going, that without a question, and affirmations. Yeah. What, what does affirmations mean for you? Like, how does that look like in your well, life? Constant reinforcement of where you see yourself. They're always done in the, in the completed form. It's not someday I will be, it's I am, right? Yes. Yes. I love myself. I, one of my most important affirmations is I love myself unconditionally. It doesn't say someday I'm going to love myself, mm -hmm. right? It's I see it in the completed form. And, and the other most important one, second most important one is I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. Mm, that's great. And another one I've heard you talk about is, is think like a person of action. Act, act, like like, a, uh, yeah. act like a person of thought. Yes, I think that's a fantastic one. Yeah. Um, the last question for you is, uh, you know, this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? Well, it would be uh, uh, growing your people, build, helping your people be all they can be. That, at the end of the day, that's how I want to be judged. How did I help other people? How did I help other people grow? And that for me is excellence. That's its highest form of contribution to our world is helping other people. Mm, that's fantastic. Howard, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an honor to have you on. It's great to hear your story and the lessons that you've learned, but also the people that you've helped. And you've been a servant leader and you're sharing that with other people and helping them go on to continue to help as many people as possible. So thank you so much. If someone wanted to follow you, learn more well, about let me, you. Let me give you, let's make it easy. Okay. My email address is hb at howardbhard.com. That's hb at howardbhard.com. And my uh, telephone number, my cell number is 206-972-7776. I will get back to everybody. I'm a little slow on the uptake, but <laughs> but I'm old. But uh, But I will always get back to somebody. Yeah. Well, if someone wanted to reach out, there you go. It's that's the that's the way to do it. Um, you know, there's so many things that you've been able to help so many people with. And, and thank you for that. Um, and just thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Buy my book. It's not about the coffee. Yes, we actually have that right here. So it's not about the coffee. As you, If you're watching on YouTube, you can see I took a lot of notes in it. But and I, and a, I give all the all the proceeds go to two nonprofits, the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership and the Cup Fund at Starbucks. Mm -hmm. So you're going to, you know, hopefully it'll be a good read and you'll do some good at the same time. I can say it's a fantastic read. Also, you have another book called the magic cup, which is another Correct. great book. So also yeah. check those out. Definitely buy the book. So thanks again, Howard, for being on the show. I right. appreciate it. Okay, Bailey, take We're care. Hey everyone. It's Bailey miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.